Good afternoon, Tri-States. This is IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading and Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped, brought to you in part by Dupaco and the R.W. Hafer Foundation. This is Ken down here in Missouri, but I am reading from the Friday, February 23rd edition of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald. And now we have our first piece from Above the Fold. Hope Rises for Regional Air Carrier. Local leaders on Thursday expressed growing optimism that efforts to return daily air service to Dubuque Regional Airport are gaining traction. Matt Skinner, an air service consultant hired by the Dubuque Airport, told a crowd of roughly 75 people Thursday that recent conversations between local representatives and regional air carriers have shown promise. I'm not up here with some grand announcement yet, but I can tell you that serious progress has been made with some of these regional carriers to the point that we're talking about finances and possible schedules, Skinner said. Skinner spoke Thursday at Dubuque Area Chamber of Commerce's annual air service forum held at Hotel Julian Dubuque to update chamber members on ongoing efforts to restore daily air service. That service halted roughly 18 months ago when American Airlines ceased its Dubuque operations and the subsequent drought of daily service has generated anxiety and concern from local business owners and the community at large. The departure also prompted the formation of Dubuque Community Air Service Task Force, a group of elected officials, chamber representatives, and airport leadership hoping to bolster local service. On Thursday, Chamber President and CEO and Task Force member Molly Grover called daily air service an expected amenity, adding that its current absence inhibits Dubuque's ability to build and maintain economic momentum. In the 21st century, global marketplace, daily air service is an absolute imperative, Grover said. We are not going to stop until we realize our goal of restoring that service to a major hub. Skinner, a principal with Global Flight Solutions, has worked closely with the task force toward that goal, operating as the group's boots on the ground in conversation with national and regional carriers. On Thursday, he updated forum attendees on those efforts. COVID really upset the apple cart when it came to air service, Skinner said. And the last couple of years, it's been an all-out dogfight, cage match, for the resources that airlines have out there. Fortunately, Skinner said, some positive indicators are beginning to emerge for the airline industry. Pilot shortages are easing and passenger totals are on the rebound. Many airlines also seem more open to establishing new routes, he added, which is a good sign for local officials. It's not like airlines are saying, hey, let's hit the gas, we're open to anything. But there's a much more positive flow of conversation from major airlines all the way down to the smaller airlines, Skinner said. Those conversations are underscored and supported by the quantifiable high demand for local air service, Skinner added. 
A community survey on the topic was sent out late last year and drew responses from over 8,100 area residents and over 200 businesses. Of those respondents, over 90% of residents expressed support for ongoing efforts to restore daily service overall. Roughly 70% of business respondents expressed support for the use of city and or county funds to incentivize the restoration of that service. That data is useful in showing potential carriers that there is a local demand and potential incentives for their services, Skinner said. The forum also reviewed last year's launch of local leisure flights through Avilo Airlines, which in March 2023 launched twice weekly flights between Dubuque and Orlando, Florida, and in September added flights to and from Las Vegas. The city of Dubuque and Dubuque County each contributed $500,000 to a minimum revenue guarantee agreement from which Avilo could pull to offset its initial investment in the community. The airline had withdrawn all of those funds by September. Avilo's last Las Vegas flights were discontinued in January, and the Orlando flights soon will switch to a seasonal schedule pausing in April before picking up again in November. Despite those scheduling changes, Dubuque Mayor Brad Kavanaugh argued Thursday the city's agreement with Avilo still paid for itself because it helped the city maintain more than 10,000 yearly employments, an essential number for securing federal funding. In 2023, Dubuque Regional Airport recorded 19,022 employments, a post-pandemic record high enough to nab $1 million in federal funding and show a quantifiable demand for local service. Those Avilo passengers and those flights mean that we can continue to gain access to the federal funds we need to keep our airport moving in the right direction. Kavanaugh said. They've been great partners. Our second front page piece, Report. Alcohol might play role in Iowa cancer rate. Dubuque health officials said they are concerned by the findings in a new report that highlights how alcohol might play into an increased risk of cancer for Iowans. According to the 2024 Cancer in Iowa report produced by Iowa Cancer Registry, Iowa continues to be the state with the second highest rate of new cancers, as was also the case in 2023. The report also found that Iowa has the fourth highest incidence of alcohol-related cancers and said that could be related to the fact that the state also ranked fourth in the nation for binge drinking in 2022. Jackie Bierman, director of Mercy One Dubuque Cancer Center, said the report's findings are alarming and disappointing. However, she said she was encouraged to see that the report also showed a decrease in the number of cancer deaths and an increase in cancer survivors in Dubuque County. The 2023 report showed that 5,500 Dubuque County residents were cancer survivors, meaning they currently had cancer or previously had it. In this year's report, that number is 5,620. 
This leads us to believe that we're capturing the right type of care and the right type of treatment, as well as early detection, she said. We're really trying to focus on screening early and often with our cancers. The report estimated there will be 650 new cancer cases in Dubuque County in 2024, with an age-adjusted rate of 475.3 per 100,000 people from 2016 to 2020. Delaware County's rate is 527.2 per 100,000, and Jackson County's is 512.6. The report estimates 140 new cancer cases this year in Clayton County, 125 in Delaware County, and 170 in Jackson County. Dubuque County is expected to have 205 cancer deaths this year with a 2016-2020 age-adjusted mortality rate of 143.7 per 100,000 people, compared to 145.8 in Delaware County and 151.1 in Jackson County. The report estimates there will be 50 cancer deaths this year in Clayton County, 40 in Delaware County, and 50 in Jackson County. Each of those counties have rates of adult binge drinking higher than the national average of 16%, using data from 2018 to 2021. The report found 23% of adult Dubuque County residents, 22% of adult Delaware County residents, and 18% of adult Clayton County residents binge drink. Jackson County has the highest percentage in the state with 27% of adult residents binge drinking. The report notes studies have found evidence that alcohol consumption increases the risk of esophagus, colon, and rectum, oral cavity, and pharynx and larynx, female breast, and liver cancers. Bierman said the cancer center sees patients with a variety of cancer types. And while she assumes alcohol plays a role in some cases, it is difficult to pinpoint it as an exact cause. Moving forward, Bierman said, the Cancer Center continues to look into expanding screening options and focus on increasing the center's support groups and resources for survivors. Allie White, executive director of Dubuque County Public Health Department, said health officials long have known about a likely correlation between alcohol consumption and cancer rates. But this study further demonstrates the correlation, particularly with binge drinking. The new studies that are coming out that are really realizing this correlation is cause for alarm and definitely worthy of increased efforts to help educate the community about these risks, especially given that we have several higher learning institutions in our area where binge drinking is prevalent, White said. Besides alcohol-related cancers, White pointed out that lung cancer is estimated to make up 12.9% of all new cancers among Iowans in 2024, making it the third most prevalent behind breast and prostate cancer. However, White said Iowa's rate of tobacco smokers is not much higher than the national average. 
According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, 11.5% of U.S. adults smoked cigarettes in 2021, compared to 14% in the Midwest. It does kind of make you wonder. Because of its geography, Iowans are likely exposed to more radon and people in other, than people in other parts of the country. That, for me, is cause for concern, she said. There are things that we can do to help reduce that risk. Radon exposure is the leading cause of lung cancer for non-smokers, according to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. The main way people are exposed to radon is by inhaling it inside homes and buildings when soil vapor gets inside, according to the Agency for Toxic Substances and Disease Registry. White said the health department has radon test kits available for purchase, but they aren't widely used. There's probably a general lack of understanding about the risks that come along with radon. We really would like to work to educate our community on the risks, especially given our geographic location and ways that they can test the levels in their home, White said. Sarah Corazzo, Unity Point Health Marketing Communications Manager, stated in an email that Unity Point Health Finley Hospital continues to review the Cancer in Iowa report. The new information provides an opportunity to remind individuals to keep current on their annual health checkups, screenings, and work with their health care provider to determine cancer risks. Corazzo said in the statement, Our final front page piece is accompanied by a lovely long shot overlooking the Balltown area. And we see a farm in the near distance and then lots of trees expanding way out. And the caption beneath it reads, Farmsteads north of Balltown, Iowa. A USDA report shows the number of area farms has increased slightly since 2017. And our article is Area Loses 40,000 Acres of Farmland. A recent released federal report shows the tri-state area lost 40,000 acres of farmland, but gained dozens more farms from 2017 to 2022. The U.S. Department of Agriculture's 2022 Census of Agriculture includes bushels of details that paint a picture of the state of agriculture locally and nationwide. The USDA and U.S. Census Bureau are required to conduct a census of agriculture every five years as a sort of pulse check for agriculture across America. Farmers provide the data, which the USDA and other federal agencies use to manage federal programs. This comprehensive snapshot every five years helps data users to see trends and shifts in the industry over time and helps producers do business, National Agriculture Statistics Service Administrator Hubert Hamer said in a release. Overall, though, there are always changes across U.S. agriculture. The data remain largely consistent with the previous ag census. 
Congress also uses the Census of Agriculture to develop the agriculture-related portions of the Farm Bill, also created every five years. The latest Farm Bill has yet to pass. Across the tri-state area, nearly 2.6 million acres were in farms in 2022, roughly 81.5% of area counties' total land. Grant County, Wisconsin, had the most farmland among area counties, with 586,453 acres. It is also the largest county geographically. Delaware County, Iowa, had the most farmland per acre of total land, with 345,856 acres of farmland, making 93.5% of the county dedicated to farms. Also in Iowa, Clayton County had 430,213 acres of farmland in 2022, Dubuque County had 317,983 acres, and Jackson County had 292,232. 39, excuse me, 39 acres. Lafayette County, Wisconsin had 316,462 acres of farmland. Joe Davies County, Illinois had 309,287 acres. While the tri-state area's farmland still comprised a huge swath of land in 2022, data shows an overall decrease of 40,384 acres of farmland in the area, with gains and losses varying significantly by county. You have some farms that got chewed up due to urban sprawl, said Joe Ports, Dubuque County Executive Director for the U.S. Farm Service Agency. But people also took out fence rows and edges to add more crops. Area counties also have seen residential and commercial development in agricultural areas in recent years. Alan Johnson grows crops and raises cattle on about 250 acres in Grant County. He attributed some farmland losses in his county to development and some to the boom in renewable energy installations. There are a lot of housing projects and stuff coming out, he said. You also have to consider that we have seen a whole lot of these solar areas and windmills coming in on what was agriculture land. Johnson referred to Alliant Energy's 1,400-acre, 200-megawatt Grant County solar project on which construction began in 2022. With the tri-state area crisscrossed with tributaries, recent years' increase in major flood events also have made more acres unsuitable for continued planting. Some area farmers donated or sold limited land to area conservation agencies to be used for outdoor recreation. Among area counties, Lafayette County reported the biggest reduction in farmland with 26,000 56 fewer acres in 2022 than in 2017. Jackson County reported 23,509. Delaware County reported 18,789. Grant reported 13,871 fewer acres. Joe Davies County reported 40. 
Clayton County, though, reported 17,558 more acres in 2022 than in 2017. Dubuque County also reported 4,507 more acres. All that farmland was divided much differently in 2022 than in 2017, with more individual farms of notably different sizes. Across the tri-state area, there were 24 more farms reported in 2022 than five years prior, even with less collective farmland. In Iowa, there were 165 more farms in Delaware County, 152 in Dubuque County, 106 more in Clayton County, and 24 more in Jackson County. Conversely, there were 40 fewer farms in Joe Davies County, 165 fewer in Lafayette County, and 218 fewer in Grant County. According to USDA summary of the 2022 Census of Agriculture, the number of farms nationally dropped by 7%. Some continuing contributing trends include corporations buy up of farmland and retiring farmers selling farms in total or breaking them up to sell to often neighboring farms. There's some of that consolidation, but some of the bigger farms have been sold and been split into smaller farms or added to neighbors, Port said. It's the same land mass, really, but different farms, technically. Those farms might also be owned by multiple people and then operated by the same person. In some cases, you have people buy a farm to just buy land and then have a neighboring farmer run it. Generally, in the tri-state area, there were fewer farms that the USDA categorized in its smallest category, one to nine acres, in 2022 than in 2017. There were also fewer of the larger farms, eight fewer at 1,000 acres or more, 33 fewer at 500 to 999 acres, and 266 fewer at 180 to 499 acres. However, data shows more medium-sized farms exist. There were 376 more farms from 50 to 179 acres and 104 more from 10 to 49 acres in the 2022 report. Top HTLF executive to retire at year's end. The leader of a financial institution with a large Dubuque presence will retire at the end of the year. HTLF, the parent company of Dubuque Bank and Trust, this week announced the impending departure of President and CEO Bruce Lee. Lee will retire at the end of 2024 from his position as CEO and his spot on the company's board of directors. Announcing his plans now allows for a planned and thoughtful transition period, said Ryan Lund, Director of Corporate Communication for HTLF. It gives the company time to conduct a thorough nationwide search by the end of the year. Lee, who was unavailable for comment Thursday, became CEO of what was then Heartland Financial USA in 2018. The position previously was held by Lynn Tut Fuller, who departed the company in 2022 after four years as executive operating chairman. 
During his tenure, Lee oversaw several major changes for HTLF and its subsidiary, DB&T. Last year, the company relocated its headquarters from Dubuque to Denver as part of a push to consolidate the company's 11 charters into a single location. The move drew criticism from Fuller and several other community members over its potential implications for the company's local presence, but Lee maintained at the time that the move would have minimal impact on HTLF's investment and employment numbers in Dubuque. Lee also oversaw HTLF's multi-million dollar investment into the Roshek building at 700 Locust Street, a project that company leaders have stressed indicates a continued commitment to the Dubuque market. Many of HTLF's approximately 350 area Dubuque area employees work at the now renovated downtown building. We're very, very proud of the building, Lee told the TH in September. For Dubuqueers, I think they can be proud of what we've done with this landmark to create such a unique environment. HTLF already has formed a committee alongside recruiting firm Hydric and Struggles to execute a nationwide search for Lee's replacement. Lee will continue to serve as CEO until his successor is ready to assume the role. HTLF Board President John Schmidt said Lee announced his retirement to board members last week. Schmidt said that Lee was leaving on good terms and the board was grateful for his leadership the past several years. Schmidt said the board is hoping to find an executive with the leadership skills and vision necessary to implement HTLF 3.0, the moniker for its plans to increase revenue, efficiency, return on assets, and capital allocation. We'd like someone to come in who has the same leadership skills that Bruce has exhibited over the past several years, but at the same time, I'd assume that new CEO would be able to come and put their own imprints on the plan, too, Schmidt said. There isn't a strict timeline for finding Lee's replacement, Schmidt said, so as to allow the board ample time to locate the best potential candidates. The next CEO will work out of HTLF's headquarters in Denver. Now we'll turn to the opinion page. And today's Our View is a single point of view, nonetheless expressed by the editorial board and reflects the editorial board's consensus from the Telegraph Herald. And its title is County Elected Officials Competitive? Who knew? For years now, some Dubuque County citizens and the TH Editorial Board have lamented the fact that the County Compensation Board only considers very limited statistics when determining appropriate increases for positions of elected leadership in county government. Because the Compensation Board looks only at salary and not complete benefits packages, it long has seemed like a skewed perspective through which to determine salary increases. And now, a recent review of pay for Dubuque County government employees found some credence for that concern. The Board of Supervisors previously contracted with Carlson Detman Consulting to analyze how competitive the county government's compensation is for its employees. 
The firm weighed county employee pay against that of similar employers, other local governments based on population, proximity, or responsibilities, and of private employers when county positions had similar responsibilities. The firm determined Dubuque County should aim to pay staff in the 75th percentile of the comparable employers, meaning just 25% of employers would pay better to be competitive. The results presented to the supervisors recently showed that the county is currently middle of the road and would need to invest significantly to reach that target. Supervisors since have run into disagreements about the results of the report, particularly recommendations focused on the county's 72 non-union positions held by 99 employees. A related proposal would tack another $451,579 to the county budget for fiscal year 2025 to put wages into the upper percentile. While they sort out that piece, another of the consultant's findings relates back to the work of the County Compensation Board. The consultant also analyzed elected officials and connected employees' compensation and determined all those elected positions currently are competitive. Competitive, you say? Is that to say the sheriff does not require a 19% increase to be paid an appropriate salary? because that's what the County Compensation Board proposed for the coming fiscal year. At a meeting in December, Compensation Board members recommended significant pay increases for the county's elected officials. 19% for the sheriff, 10% for the auditor and treasurer, and 8% for the county attorney, recorder, and three supervisors. In addition to the eight elected officials, the percentage pay increase the supervisors approve will apply to deputies whose salaries are tied to the officials. Proposed at 16% for the sheriff, 7% for the auditor, 4% for the treasurer, and 2% for the recorder. So why the disparity between these steep increases and a consultant's analysis that calls these same officials pay competitive? That would be because the compensation board determines its recommended raises by examining a simple set of criteria. One, where does the county rank by population? Dubuque County is ninth, currently down one spot from two years ago. Two, where does each elected official rank compared with peers in other counties? And that's it. No consideration of an individual's longevity, their total benefits package, the geographic location of the county, or the number of employees under their supervision, and no comparisons to similar positions in the private sector. State code states that compensation boards shall review the compensation paid to comparable officers in other counties of this state, other states, private enterprise, and the federal government. So, in fact, the Compensation Board can consider facts beyond the salaries of similar positions in other Iowa counties. Still, there just isn't much more guidance. 
The same part of the code references both salary and compensation, which could include vacation, health insurance, and other benefits. Yet, Dubuque County's Compensation Board looks strictly at salary, believing that was the law's intent. Lawmakers should clarify this language, amending the law to remove any question and allow boards to consider everything as compensation, not just wages. It's worth noting that while Dubuque County supervisors have expressed frustration about the Compensation Board's recommendation, they have questions about the consultant's findings, too. Supervisor Ann McDonough took issue with the consultant's inclusion of local governments that don't seem to resemble Dubuque County. Those are questions supervisors will need to examine as they determine pay for county employees and elected officials. But they are also questions that underscore the same point. Those charged with setting compensation should have access to the breadth of data needed to make an informed decision. Who knows? Maybe elected officials are already getting competitive compensation, as the consultants suggest. And we have one letter to the editor. Iowa delegation chose politics over collaboration. Jeffrey Roberts, Wheatland Drive, Dubuque. When our elected officials forego solutions and collaborations for political gain, it is time to recall them. Recently, this occurred when the Republicans in the Senate and House torpedoed the bipartisan compromise on immigration. Chuck Grassley, Joni Ernst, Ashley Hinson, Marionette Millers-Meeks, Zach Nunn, and Randy Feenstra. It's time to come home. You are listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading and Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped. Brought to you in part by Dupaco and the R.W. Hafer Foundation. And this is Ken reading from the Friday, February 23rd edition of the Dubuque Telegraph Herald. And we now will turn to today's obituaries. Mary Sue McAllister, Bankston. Mary Sue McAllister, 66, of Bankston, passed away peacefully at her home on February 20th with loving family at her side following a courageous battle with Merkel cell carcinoma. Visitation will be held from 2 to 8 p.m. Sunday, February 25th at Rife's Funeral Home in Farley, Iowa, where a prayer service will be held at 1.30 p.m. and the Dyersville Fire Department will meet in a body at 6 p.m. Visitation will also be held after 8.30 a.m. on Monday at the funeral home. Funeral services will be at 10 a.m. on Monday, February 26th at St. Clement's Church in Bankston with Father Michael Schuler presiding. Burial will follow in the St. Clement's Cemetery in Bankston. Mary was born July 28, 1957 in Manchester, She was the daughter of Robert J. and Mary Eileen Haggerty Conrad and was raised on her family's farm near Bankston. Mary attended school first at St. Clement's in Bankston before attending school at Western Dubuque, where she graduated in 1975. 
She then went on to Capri College for cosmetology, which led her to spend several years as a hairdresser in the Dubuque County area before transitioning to farming full-time. On July 8, 1978, she was united in marriage to her high school sweetheart, Mark McAllister, at St. Clement's Church in Bankston. Mark and Mary spent many years renting a farm outside of Farley until they purchased their first farm in 1990. That was in Mary's family for several generations and just down the road from Mary's home farm. Upon buying the farm, Mark and Mary began dairy farming and never stopped. Mary spent every day since buying the home farm, keeping it clean and making small improvements that significantly added up over the years to make it what it is today. Mary's many passions shone brightly in her daily life. The three things that were of utmost importance to Mary included her family, friends, and her farm. She took great pride in raising her five children on the farm, spending endless amounts of time improving her home and farm to make it a better place for future generations. It was rare to see Mary sitting down as she was always working on something or spending time with her loved ones or making something for a loved one. Throughout the years, Mary was faced with many hardships as they often come in farming. But she took every obstacle in stride and maintained an optimistic attitude throughout her life. She was known for not only her work ethic, but for her thoughtfulness and enjoyed home projects, sewing, cooking, baking, wonderful homemade goodies, and collecting antiques. Mary adored her kids and grandkids and cherished her many friends she made throughout her life. She had the best group of friends and cherished her amazing neighborhood that always took care of her and her family. If you knew Mary, you knew she loved anything with sparkle, which is fitting as she was truly the sparkle in our lives. She will be dearly missed by many. Patricia A. Nauman. Patricia A. Nauman, 90, of Dubuque, died Thursday, February 22nd. Visitation will be held from 2 to 5 p.m. Sunday, February 23rd at Hoffman Schneider and Kitchen Funeral Home and Crematory, 3860 Asbury Road. A massive Christian burial will take place at 10.30 a.m. Monday, February 26th at Saints Peter and Paul Catholic Church in Sherrill. Burial will be in the church cemetery. Douglas R. Wade, Ryan, Iowa. Douglas R. Wade, 74, of Ryan, died Wednesday, February 21st. Visitation will be held from 2 to 6 p.m. Sunday, February 25th at Bonkamp Murdoch Funeral Home in Manchester and from 10 to 11 a.m. Monday, February 26th at Silver Creek Church in Masonville, where services will follow. Burial will take place in Silver Creek Cemetery in Masonville. Henry Goldstein. Henry Hank Goldstein, 87, of Dubuque, passed away Sunday, February 18th, with his loving family at his bedside. Visitation will be held at Eaglehoff Seeger Casper Funeral Home, 2659 JFK Road, Dubuque, Tuesday, February 27th, from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., with services to follow. On Saturday, March 9th at 11 a.m., a memorial celebration will be held at First Baptist Church, Dubuque, 
Hank was born March 9, 1936, in Camden, New Jersey, son of Morris and Evelyn Bilkus Goldstein. He received his bachelor's degree from NYU, New York City, where he played collegiate tennis and received his Ph.D. in psychology from the University of Iowa. After receiving his doctorate, he taught at Lake Forest College, Lake Forest, Illinois, Iowa Wesleyan University, Mount Pleasant, Iowa, and lastly at Clark College, Dubuque, retiring after 31 years at Clark as an associate professor emeritus. On May 30, 1992, he married Linda Chapman in Dubuque. He was a loving husband, father and grandfather, whose kind and compassionate spirit was evident to those who knew and loved him. He had a unique, dry sense of humor that was often as thought-provoking as it was funny. He had a powerful mind and was a great teacher who would freely share his knowledge with anyone who was interested. Hank was an avid tennis player and was a member of the Debut Tennis Association. He was a formidable ping-pong player and had a lifetime record of being undefeated at any Goldstein get-together. He was an often-desired team member in any game or contest. He loved the Hawkeyes and always supported them. In lieu of flowers, a memorial fund has been established in Hank's name. Thomas L. Boyle, Cascade. Thomas L. Slim Boyle, 84, of Cascade, passed away peacefully Monday, February 19th, at his home in Cascade, surrounded by his family. A visitation will be held from 2 to 5 p.m. Sunday, February 25th, at Rife Funeral Home in Cascade, where a prayer service will be held at 1.30 p.m. Visitation will continue from 9.30 to 10.30 a.m., Monday, February 26th, at St. Martin's Catholic Church in Cascade, where services will commence at 11 a.m. with Reverend Mark Osterhaus presiding. Burial will follow in Calvary Cemetery in Cascade. He was born May 24, 1939, in Dubuque, son of Lauren and Helen Shanahan Boyle. He was raised on the family farm in Gary Owen. On February 6, 1965, he was united in marriage to Mary Jane Giel at Sacred Heart Catholic Church in Fillmore, Iowa. He was always an active individual. In his younger days, he was very involved in drag racing. He was employed at Clinton Engines in Maquoketa, John Deere Dubuque Works. In 1970, he acquired Cascade Implement in a partnership that continued for 30 years. He later worked for Sherman Implement in Dyersville until his retirement in 2017, after which he accepted the position of part-time oil salesman for Wayne Feeds. His hobbies included collecting watch fobs and good-for-trade tokens. He was a member of St. Matthias Parish in Cascade. He was very active in town affairs. He was a member of the Tri-County Historical Society, the Cascade Park Board, and was a member of the Cascade City Council. An online video tribute may be viewed and online condolences left for the family at www.rifefuneralhomeinc.com. Betty Goiter, Guttenberg. Betty Jane Goiter, 81, of Guttenberg, passed away peacefully, surrounded by family, Wednesday, February 21st, at Mercy Hospital in Dubuque.
Visitation will be held from 4 to 7 p.m. Friday, February 23rd at Morris Funeral Home in Guttenberg. Visitation will continue Saturday, February 24th at Trinity Lutheran Church in Guttenberg from 9 to 10 a.m. Funeral services will commence at 10.30 a.m. Saturday, February 24th at Trinity Lutheran Church in Guttenberg with burial at Guttenberg City Cemetery. Pastor Brent Keller will officiate. Betty was born on November 18, 1942, the daughter of Raymond and Laura Kriegel Borcherding. She married John Jackie Goiter on August 14, 1962, at St. John's Lutheran Church in Guttenberg. Betty was a hard worker and installed, instilled, I think they meant, instilled these values in her children. She worked with her husband at Doug's Steakhouse and Trademark Homes. She later worked at Monona Wire Corporation until retirement. Betty loved to read. You could always find her with a book in hand. When not reading, she would binge watch shows or do crosswords or word searches. She enjoyed spending time with her children and grandchildren. They would play lots of card games. She was strong-willed with a kind heart. She made time for all those she met, often having conversations with strangers. She enjoyed sharing stories and visiting with family and friends. She had an immaculate memory and could remember every detail. Betty was an active member at Trinity Lutheran Church in Guttenberg, and her faith was the centerpiece of her life. Morris Funeral Home in Guttenberg is assisting the family, and information is available at www.morrisfuneralhomes.com. Memorials may be sent to Morris Funeral Home in care of the deceased, 2001 South 1st Street, Guttenberg, Iowa, 52052. Anne, oh, Anna, excuse me, Anna M. Stelfflug, Dickieville. Anna M. Stelfflug, 86, of Dickieville, passed away Tuesday, February 20th at Southwest Health Center, Platteville, Wisconsin. A massive Christian burial will be held at 12 p.m. Monday, February 26th, 2024, at Holy Ghost Catholic Church in Diggieville, with Reverend Bernard Rote officiating. Burial will be in the church cemetery. Visitation will be from 9 to 11.30 a.m. Monday at Casey McNett Funeral Home and Cremation Services, Cuba City. Anna was born on August 16, 1937, in Paris Township, Wisconsin, the daughter of John and Rose Wunderlin Reuter. She was united in marriage to Jean Selflug, April 1, 1967, at Holy Ghost Church in Dickeyville. Anna worked at Heartland Nursing Home for 17 years. She enjoyed camping and baking sugar cookies for her family. She was a fan of the Green Bay Packers and Chicago Cubs. Above all, Anna loved spending time with her children and grandchildren. In lieu of flowers, an Anna M. Selflug Memorial Fund has been established. Memorials may be sent to the funeral home at 123 North Jackson Street, Cuba City, Wisconsin, 53807. And I think... We have, yeah, there's one more here, Ed Wallou, 
Ed Wilu, 84, of Dubuque, died Wednesday, February 21st. Visitation will be held from 2 to 6 p.m. Sunday, February 25th at Eaglehoff Seagert and Casper Funeral Home, 2659 John F. Kennedy Road. A massive Christian burial will take place at 10.30 a.m. Monday, February 26th at Holy Ghost Catholic Church. And we have oh, we have one birth to announce, one new arrival. Thursday, February 22nd, Hosh, Matt and Kara Hosh of Cascade, a girl at Mercy One Dubuque Medical Center. Welcome, little lady, welcome. Now we'll turn to our news in brief and other pieces uh, along those lines. The first one is no injuries reported from a Farley house blaze. No one was injured in a house fire on Thursday afternoon in Farley. Farley Fire Chief Rod Kramer said his department was called to 700 First Avenue Northwest for the fire at around 3 p.m. The Dubuque County Sheriff's Department and Farley Police Department also responded to the scene. Kramer said firefighters had not yet determined the cause of the fire or the extent of the damage to the home as of 4.30 p.m. Thursday. We didn't need to evacuate anyone, Kramer said Thursday afternoon. Everyone is safely out of the house. And it shows a picture of a rather burned house and and firefighters that have appeared on the site of the house fire. Next, we have Camp Albrecht Acres Fundraising Gala scheduled for March 6th at Hotel in Dubuque. An upcoming gala will raise money for a local residential camp for people with disabilities. Camp Albrecht Acres Celebrating All Abilities Gala is scheduled to take place from 6 to 9 p.m. March 6th at Hotel Julian Dubuque. The event will feature live music by Tapestry, an open bar, hors d'oeuvres, meat carving stations, live and silent auctions, and a short program. Tickets are $125 with all proceeds benefiting the 40-acre residential camp in Sherrill, Iowa for people with disabilities. The camp receives no direct financial assistance from the local, state, or federal government, so it relies on fundraisers such as the gala. No campers are ever turned away due to an inability to pay camping fees. Delaware County man sentenced to seven years in prison for sex crimes. From Hopkinton, a Delaware County man has been sentenced to seven years in prison for multiple sex crimes. Vernon H. Stutzman, 44, of Hopkinton, recently received a sentence in Iowa District Court of Delaware County after pleading guilty to charges of three counts of felony sexual abuse and two counts of assault with intent to commit sexual abuse. Iowa District Court Judge Michael Schubert ordered the sentence. As part of a plea deal, six additional counts of felony sexual abuse and seven counts of third-degree sexual abuse were dismissed. Court documents state that Stutzman sexually abused a child under the age of 17 over an eight-month period in 2018 and sexually abused a second minor from 2018 to 2020, starting when the minor was under 16. Dubuque on Ice Brewfest set for Saturday. An annual beer festival will be held this weekend in Dubuque. The 12th annual Dubuque on Ice Brewfest will take place from 1 to 4 p.m. Saturday, February 24th at Grand River Center. 
A VIP ticket enables participants to enter at noon. Craft beer, distilled spirits, wine, coffee, cheese, sausage, and other items will be available for tasting. Tickets are $44 or $59 for VIP participants. Designated driver's admission is $15. Proceeds from the event go to several local nonprofits, including National Brewery Museum in Potosi, Wisconsin, Camp Albrecht Acres in Sherrill, Iowa, and Dubuque-based Research for the Kids. Police intoxicated driver injured in two-vehicle crash in Dubuque. Jordan J. Keeney, Keery, 24, of Hubbard, was transported by ambulance to Mercy One Dubuque Medical Center for treatment after an accident, a two-vehicle accident, on Wednesday. He later was arrested at 9.10 p.m. at the hospital on charges of second offense operating while intoxicated and interference with official acts. Police report that Kee was driving south on U.S. 61-151 near the Admiral Sheehy Drive ramp at approximately 7.05 p.m. Wednesday when her vehicle rear-ended a vehicle being driven south by David M. Leiter, 37, of Dubuque. Court documents state that Kee was traveling at a high rate of speed at the time of the crash. He was observed to have red, watery eyes, slurred speech, and other signs of intoxication in the ambulance, documents state. She later tested positive for alcohol consumption. Dubuque resident taken to hospital following local crash. Police said that one person was taken to a hospital following a two-vehicle crash in Dubuque. Kristen D. Banks, 34, of Dubuque, was transported by ambulance to Unity Point Health Finley Hospital for treatment of her injuries, according to Dubuque Police. Police report that a vehicle driven by Jonathan J. Mueller, 19, of Dubuque, was traveling south on Lincoln Avenue, approaching Windsor Avenue at 1.34 p.m. Wednesday, when the vehicle failed to stop at a stop sign and struck Banks' vehicle, which was traveling east on Windsor. Mueller was cited with failure to obey a stop sign or yield sign, and Banks was cited with failure to provide proof of financial liability and driving while suspended. Three arrested on drug charges from Platteville. Authorities said three people were arrested on drug charges after the execution of a search warrant in Platteville. Brian C. Jack, 30, Derek A. Jack, 56, and Danny Mabra, 32, all of Platteville were arrested. Thursday, after the execution of a search warrant at a residence on Lancaster Street, according to a news release from Richland, Iowa Grant Drug, Grant Drug Task Force. Brian Jack was arrested on charges of possession with intent to deliver methamphetamine greater than 50 grams, felon in possession of a firearm, possession of cocaine, possession of marijuana, possession of drug paraphernalia, and maintaining a drug trafficking place. Derek Jack was arrested on charges of possession of methamphetamine, possession of marijuana, and a probation violation. Mabra was arrested on charges of possession of methamphetamine and an outstanding warrant. Woman of the Year nominations sought Dyersville. Nominations are sought for Dyersville Area Chamber of Commerce's 2024 Woman of the Year Award. The award is presented annually to a woman whose qualities have enhanced the quality of life for residents and communities in Dyersville, Earlville, Farley, Luxembourg, New Vienna, Petersburg, 
or Worthington, according to the Chamber's website. Nomination forms are available at the Chamber office, 1116th Avenue, Court Southeast, and online at dyersville.org. Nominations are due March 20th. The recipient will be announced at the Chamber's Women's Night event on April 17th. Spring cleanup slated for two cemeteries, Platteville. A general cleanup is planned at two Platteville cemeteries this spring. The efforts at Greenwood and Hillside cemeteries will begin April 1st, according to an online announcement. Families should remove any flowers or decorations that they wish to save by March 31st. Cemetery personnel will discard flowers and decorations during the cleanup. Now we have our weekend buzz. The noteworthy things to do this weekend. Laura's choirs present the music of stillness, a Lenten reflection today at Christ the Church King Chapel, 1500 Alta Vista, 7.30 p.m. This free family-friendly event will provide an evening of choral music and traditional melodies. Bluffette. Today, Mississippi Moon Bar, Diamond Joe, 8 p.m., the Jimmy Buffett tribute boasts uncanny recreations by its performers of the late singer's hits. You've got to be 21 and over to attend. Mission is $15 to $20. 